But there's still a delay. Right. So what do you want? Do you want delay or do you want reverb? Tell me. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want, honestly. Reverb. Is delay there? No. Now, you, now that's a proper upgrade. No reverb, no delay, just the bland sound of my voice. Okay. You guys ready for that today? Well, good morning. I've been wanting to say good morning for a long time. This feels good. Yes, of course. Good morning. It is a very good morning. I don't know if you ever watch Good Mythical Morning, but this is not one of those. Um, so today I'm going to preach out of um, Isaiah chapter 11. If you do have your Bibles, you can start getting ready there. Just a couple of stories before we jump into the Scriptures. Um, at our house, uh, we have this thing that keeps happening. There's, there are a couple of orchids um, scattered around, maybe two or so in our house. We only have one now, my wife says. Okay, so I think we had two. I, think, I thought we had two, but maybe it's just the same one that keeps moving around. Because Tana does that as well. She just keeps moving the orchids. And the reason is, is because these orchids are often just, you think they're dead. It's like just this little dry stick. And then every now and then, the orchid surprises us. And it just, this beautiful flower just comes out. And we realize, it's not dead. But I do think it goes through cycles where it then does die. And then for some reason, we do that little ice cube thing and... By God's grace, this dead orchid comes alive again and a new flower pops up. And it's just this little miracle that keeps happening in our house over and over again. The same thing happens with lavender outside. So we plant it outside the front of our house, specifically because rumor has it that lavender survives the harsh winters here. Don't have to cover them up. And it's a fact. As the winter comes, they die. They look like they'll never come back again. It's just this dead sort of shrubby, woodsy thing in front of our house. And then the summer comes round and lavender comes back. I mean, but Tanya has to really get in there and kind of trim it down um, so that those new shoots could come out. But it does, in fact, come out. And Isaiah chapter 11 is a similar story to the orchids in my house and the lavender outside of my house. It's this amazing story of hopelessness that turns into hope. Hope restored when perhaps all hope is lost. And Isaiah starts off um, describing the absolute worst, but then he, he ends off by describing the absolute best that is to come out of this bad situation because the worst is coming. Isaiah, when he was prophesying this, he had seen the northern kingdom, um, Israel, and ultimately the southern kingdom that he was prophesying from the, the, um, in Judah. He saw um, them defeated, besieged, and ultimately deported by the Assyrians. And we know eventually, as we keep reading through the scriptures, the Babylonians eventually took Judah into exile. And so he ends off by painting a picture of what ultimately Israel and Judah would look like, which is just the picture of a chopped off tree, the picture of a stump, just a stump. And the whole nation are just these bare stumps as far as the eye can see. But then he starts off uh, with some good news. And so I've just given you chapter 10, really, where there's the decimation of this forest. No branches waving in the wind, as you would imagine it to be. There's no birds flying in the air because there are no branches for the birds to perch in and to hang out in. There's no movement. There's no sound. Maybe there is sound, but it's the sound of crows, you know, those scary movies. You know, tumbleweeds. And yeah, thank you. Um, now I needed the reverb. But anyway, you know, wasn't on cue. So let's read together Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to just read the first 12 verses of that chapter. It should be up on the screen. So let's, let's go. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, and Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah, from, of Judah sorry, from the four corners of the earth. This is God's word. Lord, help us today as we look at this classic Advent passage that speaks of not only your arrival that we celebrate uh, this season 2,000 years ago, but also your ultimate return that will set all things right. Our hearts are open to receive. Our ears are open to hear and to listen. Feed us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, maybe you're getting to this Christmas season and uh, you look back over your shoulder and you feel like 2023 now also kind of feels like a stump. You know, you put the Christmas tree up, but actually you feel like more like the, you know, chopped off at the bottom there um, after like just a really rough year. This, this morning is for you. See, I said this morning. I didn't have to say this evening. This morning's for you. Maybe as we look over our shoulders at the past four weeks as a church, we might go, man, all of these desolating discoveries and we might feel a bit stumpy as a church we feel like we've been chopped off as the, at the knees as i said at drums and flats this week maybe we feel like a stump and that's why this passage is for us you know isaiah's king at that moment um, it was king ahaz he was a bad king he rejected god's clear instructions to the people um, he, he forgot about god's promises Actually, he formed political and military alliances with the enemy, the Assyrians, and it's starting to backfire in the worst possible way. So when Isaiah penned this, he knew either death or deportation was staring them as a nation in the, in the face. And as we keep reading, we know that's ultimately what happened. They were exiled into the, the superpower Babylon eventually. And so he is writing because he's seeing the axe coming down and he's seeing there's just going to be a stump left. And right he was. 
and even in our little church, as we think about leadership failures that we have looked at over the last little while, the real, that's a reality now closer to home than ever before. We might even side a little bit with Isaiah and go, man, we, I think we know what he feels like. like that, you know, even as I look down today, I'm like, Lord, this little stump of a church, that's my prayer for our little stump of a church. We can get hope today because he prophesies in chapter 11. He says, from one stump, just one of those many stumps, the stump of Judah, a little shoot will grow and become a branch. And a little branch will bear fruit. And then as you keep reading, when we get to verse 12, this fruit that this branch will bear is for the whole world. And not just for the whole world, it will result in a whole new world. And so this is the God of hope that we that we serve is that even though we might stare at stumps, his promise is that there will be branches that comes from shoots that will bear fruit, that will bless others. Ryan actually shared a photo with me of a stump that was on his family's farm. This was a willow tree that was cut off. It's an amazing picture of a stump and a shoot. Can you see in the middle there that little shoot that pops out? This is the picture that we have in Isaiah 11. A chopped off tree. Uh, not quite yet, but thanks, Liam. Uh, a chopped off tree. Oh, well, spoiler alert. Okay, fast forward a couple of years, and then you have, you know, the willow tree dreadlocks. There you go. Look at that. And eventually, I mean, it got to a place where you said you couldn't see the stump anymore, as this tree is just not giving up. This tree is just saying, ah, not yet. And we know why, because there's a network of roots downstairs. downstairs. Yes, we're downstairs, but down below in the ground. And so Isaiah, when he was speaking in Chapter 11, yeah, he was prophesying about what we know. Christmas is about the little boy born in obscurity for us more than 2,000 years ago. He was born with no status, and his lineage actually had a failed ancient dynasty. Even up to this point where Isaiah is writing this, king after king just messed up and messed up. And it's just a stump. That's all they've got to show for their work. And actually, Isaiah writes about the birth of a savior, the birth of a messiah. And so that's kind of the first point today, from shoot to fruit. There's this little shoot that we saw get pop out of a stump, and Isaiah is talking about this little shoot. It's fascinating that he doesn't mention David's name, because we know that's kind of how the scriptures rolled. Jesus, the son of David. Actually, he fast forwards even further back to Jesse, this sort of peasant guy, this humble Jesse. Jesse was never a king. And so he's saying that this shoot out of the stump will not come out as royalty. Not initially. We know he is the king of kings. Eventually, yes, he will end up a king, but he will not start as a king. We sang about the angels singing to the shepherds to go to a manger to find a baby. Their king, whom they sang, sang to, is born in a manger. And, and a humble thing. And so that's amazing that the Lord would actually understand our stumpness. Because he came out of a stump. That's what the scriptures say. So like you might look around and go, I feel like a stump. I feel like dry. There's no branches here. There's nothing that goes for me. God can actually understand where you're at, how low it may have become, gotten in your life. He can empathize. He gets our stumpness, if that's a word. I'm making one up today. We tend to value beauty and strength. We love influence and wealth. We're drawn to that. That's what we run towards. We like that stuff. But God brings this deliverer, this Jesus, into a world in the most unpretentious and unpredictable ways, really. From a stump, from a stump came the Savior. Why does he do that? Well, he does that to display his grace. God is a God who loves to show off his grace. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read it. It's up on the, script, uh, on the screen there. It says, when Paul writes to this church, he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. There's no trees, just a stump. Even things that are not to bring nothing, uh, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one boast, or let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It's to display his grace, to display what God does, not to display what we do. You know, friends, as I've been looking over my shoulder just at this tragedy that's, that, that's still very fresh and very raw, even in this room, I know it's t- we're tender. Maybe one of the good things that God can bring bring out of our tragedy is an answer to perhaps the difficult questions that we've all had. How can it be? How could it? How could it? How could it have happened? Friends, the answer is still grace. Grace means unmerited favor, and it's scandalous, isn't it? The fact is that God definitely drew straight lines with crooked sticks. And I want to say to you, he still does that in our very own lives. We are also trophies of grace. It's scandalous, I know, but that's how grace works. God takes the unlikely and the broken and he repurposes for good so that no one can boast. The stump or the root of Jesse also tells us that a greater David is to come because we knew what came out of the loins of Jesse. It was David. And so when he promises now that again from the stump of Jesse, he's saying a greater David is going to come. A greater David is going to come. And this king, he doesn't just come from David. He's also the one from whom David comes. That's amazing because of the roots, (laughs) the promises of God. Revelation 22, 16, it's not on the screen there, but it speaks of Jesus being the root and the descendant of David. So in other words, Jesus came both from Jesse and from David, and he came for Jesse and for David because we need his grace. The grace giver came. Isn't that amazing? A greater David has come to show us grace. And so he carries on in chapter 11. And he then starts speaking about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. On earth as it is in heaven is how we ought to pray, hey? And there we see that this Messiah, this Savior, that came from David for David, came from Jesse for Jesse, for us. He's the one that's going to bring the kingdom of God to its fullest extent. I love how Isaiah talks past the earthly life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We know that ultimately that shoot was born in Bethlehem. That's what we celebrate over the season, Jesus. But he fast forwards to a time that we haven't even lived in yet as we keep reading. And he gives us a little Polaroid, a little snapshot of what the kingdom of heaven under his rule and reign ultimately will be. It's amazing. 
This is what it will look like when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is the hope that we hold on to. When it gets messy as it's been this last month, we hold on to the fact that this king will come and this will be our future too. And so, yeah, he's born low, but he's clothed from on high because this king has the Holy Spirit in the fullest measure. He doesn't bring about his reign through the mechanisms of power that you and I know of in this world. He won't accomplish his goal through human means. No, he's going to build his kingdom another way. The world of our dreams, he's going to build another way because the Holy Spirit, it says, will rest upon him. In other words, it remains on him. It's not like that Christmas tree light that flickers every now and then. You've got to just get the bulb right because every now and then it's on, but sometimes it's off and you've got to tinker with it. That's not how Jesus and the Holy Spirit works. No, the Holy Spirit remained, rested on him, always shining, always perfect, always accomplishing the Lord's will, never making mistakes, never sinning. That's how he's going to bring. And only through the incarnation can this be possible. Only when God becomes flesh can we see that perfection. And that's the promise of Jesus that's come. And so he starts his rule and his reign. As he starts to preach, he says to people, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's close. You can touch it's here. And, 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 and we know what happened ultimately. Crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, and pour out the Spirit on us now too. Can remain on us too. And it says that this Messiah will have the Spirit of counsel and might. Counsel, in other words, he, this king knows what to do, but also of might, he's able to do it. He doesn't just know what to do and go, man, if only I had some resources where I, this great plan of mine, I could accomplish it. No, Jesus is the one who knows what to do, and he knows, how, uh, he knows how to do it, he knows what to do, and he has the power to do it. There we go. Isaiah 9 is the classic Christmas scripture. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Let's repeat it here again. Spirit of counsel and might. Because in Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is hidden. Colossians 2 verse 3. And it tells us that Jesus, in contrast to human beings living in rebellion against God, if we rebel against God, we're actually living in the fear of man, if you think about it. Because we, we, uh, we don't fear God, so we live to please ourselves, we live to please other people. But it says this Messiah will delight in the fear of the Lord. Always does what the Father asks him to do. Never messes up. Always listens to him. Always inquires of him. Always does his will. Because he delights in the fear of the Lord. And unlike human leaders, this Messiah is not deceived by appearances. It says in verse 3. Hey, let me read it exact. Verse 3 there says, just find that again. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Amazing. How many clever human leaders, myself included, maybe not so clever, we've been deceived or misled to the injury of many and others because we're not the Messiah, because we can't see the way he sees. Nobody will fool the anointed one. Nobody will fool Jesus. He will judge according to reality, not according to perception. I am so thankful that Jesus is Lord, and I'm not. I am the most gullible human being. Ask my wife and my children. I'm just, I just suck at that. Discernment is not my greatest strength. Tanya is definitely better at that. But Jesus does not have that problem. He's saying, I'm so glad he's in charge. He's not swayed by emotion. He doesn't get all riled up when we get excited. He gets excited too. And he's like, oh, I'm so influenced by your response to me. 
He's steady. He's secure. He's not fooled by ignorance. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't see that coming. That's not Jesus. Not at all. Man, I'm so glad he's my king. And you know, Isaiah carries on. The two questions that every good citizen asks of every country or leader, they ask, will the poor be neglected Neglected, and will the wicked get away with it? That's actually kind of our problem. If we look at leaders, we're like, okay, how, how's this going to play out for people who have nothing? And what's going to happen to the baddies? That's often what we ask, okay? We want from our leaders tender care for the least and stern punishment for the worst. That's, that's good governance if we get to sum it up. And it tells us that Jesus is the guy to get that right. He's got a passion for justice. It says his rule will correct all the massive wrongs that we are forced to accept in this broken world right now. No. And when he fixes those things, it says he will not step on the little people as he pursues that project. The little people will be fine. He will defend the meek and slay the wicked, verse 4. This is the king that we serve. Yesterday, we had an amazing uh, evening with some of Hurley and Elana's friends at a little uh, a gathering, birthday gathering. I'm not going to tell you how old Elana is, but you can ask her afterwards, okay? And, um, and it was so great to speak to. I mean, for the first time, Tan and I were the only kind of, we felt like we are surrounded by foreigners. Everybody spoke Portuguese, uh, and we were, you know, English. And uh, we got to know a few people. And it was amazing to hear their stories of coming from Brazil to Canada and their reasons why. I always like to double click on that. Because I'm, I'm a South African, we come from South Africa, we understand poverty, we understand corruption, it happens there as well. But, but And yet people remain, some people stick it out. I mean, it's probably getting a, worse, a little worse now, 10 years later. But it's fascinating to, to, to see that there's a point where you can't endure poverty and, um, uh, what did I say, um, corruption. Or broken infrastructure. There comes a point where it's like enough's enough. Where is that point? Where is the tipping point? I'll tell you. It's a great question. It's when the crime becomes violent. It's when the leader is a dictator. And when the justice system no longer can be trusted. That's actually the straw that breaks the camel's back for most people. It's like if, if, if the justice system is broken, then the people who do the wicked things will keep getting away with doing wicked things. And if the leader is not someone who serves the people but serves himself, is a dictator, and the justice system doesn't hold the leader to account, where is it going to go? You're going to go. You're going to flee from that because you can't live there. I hope, I hope it's okay with me sharing a little bit about your home country. But it helped me understand his friends. Like, why would you come to cold Canada? Well, because there's no justice system. The leader's a dictator and the crime is so violent. And Jesus' kingdom, friends, is different. Jesus is ushering in a kingdom that Brazilians and South Africans and Zimbabweans, remember when Craig Roberts was here and he was telling us about their infrastructure? Jesus is ushering a kingdom that even Canadians, even Canadians, I know how we people complain about the politics here. They long for what our hearts long for, Jesus is bringing. This is good news, friends. This is hope. When our own leaders trumpet their ideals, hey, election time comes around, I'll promise you this, I promise you that, we've got to be cautious, right? Because we often know it's just empty promises to get the votes. But when the Messiah tells us, I'm going to do this, it deserves our enthusiasm. We should say, absolutely, where do I sign? Where do I, how, where, how do I vote? My, my vote with my life. I'll, I'm there. And so he carries on by describing how predators and prey 
are no longer enemies. Maybe it's a little bit of a figure, figure of speech because we know Judah was the prey to the predator Assyria in that moment. And Isaiah is saying there's going to be that kind of peace on earth that the enemies are not going to fight the, you know, the, the prey, the opposite people anymore. The Assyrians and the, and, the, and the Israelites can actually get along. Peace on earth. Remember Isaiah 9 again? He's the prince of peace. That is what Christmas is all about. Absolutely. But he goes on by descri describing a natural world as well. You know, when we find out what? You know, a kid can play with a snake and, and the lion's going to, you know, eat straw like, like the cow and, and there's going to be no fighting and they're going to eat. That's the kind of thing. He's describing a restored Eden that actually would, Adam and Eve broke in the garden. God's going to fix. And it's not just going to be the garden. It's going to be the planet. And so there's hope for us. It's not just political, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and, uh, and social reform, but actually even our natural order will be restored, will be amazing because the one who created everything is the one who can fix it he can renew nature he made the world we broke the world jesus will fix the world again and so as i shared these things friends i hope hope has been rising up in your heart has hope risen up in your in your heart because his kingdom is the only final answer to the poverty the hunger the injustice maybe the illiteracy climate change all, all the sorrows that, you know, we have created, that we're living in and through. Jesus' kingdom is the answer to that. And it's amazing that his grace will actually bedazzle, it will sparkle everything that is human. Because we're going to stay human. We're just going to be gloriously renewed. We're going to be new, new humans. So from board games to business ventures, from art projects to farming food, everything human is going to be better because it's going to give God glory and the brokenness will be extracted from it. Man, I'm so looking forward to that. And we have glimpses of this future glory of Jesus in his resurrection. Remember, this is not some empty promise. He busted out of a grave, alive. Okay, come back for Easter. We'll talk about that again in a couple of months. But even now, friends, that kingdom, he says, pray that. Pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It is probably a prayer away or an inch away for all of us in certain ways. The only thing that stands between this present moment and this promised future is just a click of a finger for our Lord. It really is. He's able. He doesn't just know what to do, remember. He's able to do it. And he isn't waiting for more favorable conditions in human social evolution that's a myth humanity isn't getting better it's getting worse and he's not waiting for it to get good enough so that he'll step in no ways it actually he'll do it when he's when he'll do it okay it's going to happen when it's going to happen but he asks you to pray for it he asks you to ask for it lord let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and so isaiah isn't telling us when i mean we know it's not now we look around we go okay it's probably not now but he's not saying worry about the when He's saying, make sure you know the who. That's it. The who is enough for us. Friends, we have hope in who Jesus is because he was raised from the dead. Remember, he was already rejected by all the top people of his day. He was already rejected. It didn't keep him down because God raised him up nonetheless out of that grave. So nothing can stop him now, friends. No matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to our little church, he will bring us safely home from all over. 
His promise in Isaiah is that he will gather his people, the remnant. Maybe there's a bit of a remnant here even today. His promise is he's going to gather us together and he's going to fulfill his promises. No prison will hold us. No calamity will get us down. He is our king, our Messiah. That shoot bore fruit and ultimately will bring restoration wholesale. And it says this Messiah stands as a signal for the peoples. Remember, guys, we are called to help others find and follow this great Jesus that I've been frothing at the mouth about. That, that has not stopped. He has not changed, and our mandate hasn't changed either. Let us continue to lift up this glorious Jesus, not to stop. Because he says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to myself. I will do what verse 10 in Isaiah 11 promises, is that I will be a signal for the peoples, for the nations to see. Let's not stop signaling. Let's not stop putting Jesus in his rightful place, my friends. So let me conclude. We read Isaiah now, and then you fast forward 700 and something years, and Jesus came on the scene, this little shoot. And then he started bearing fruit. And now we fast forward 2,000 years, and I'm now preaching from that very passage. Now I want us to fast forward. I don't know when it's going to be, but in Revelation, John, one of Jesus' followers, had a glimpse of that future that we are hoping for and trusting in. And he writes in chapter 22 about what Jesus says on that glorious day. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel and testify to you about these things for the churches. That means for us, for City Gates Church. I am the root and the descendant of David. The thing Isaiah promised actually happened. It's a promise he kept. And that's why we know if he promised he would come and he did come and he sent, said to his disciples, I will come again. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to come again. We believe in the second advent because he kept his promise about the first advent. And he carries on. He says, I'm not just the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. What, ho what a hopeful line. Friends, you know that, that when the night is the darkest or when the darkness has gone on for the longest, that's when the morning star appears because the dawn is about to break. The sun is about to rise. When Jesus says, I'm the morning star, he's basically saying, no darkness is going to keep my light away. And maybe we feel as a church like we are just in the deepest, darkest night. And Jesus is today saying to you, I am the morning star. The sun is coming. The sun is rising. And how do we respond? Well, verse 17 says how we should respond. Therefore, the bride, the spirit and the bride, so the spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and the bride, your community, your church. What do we say? Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. We sang about hungry, I come to you. Thirsty, I come to you. When we find out about just Jesus, our response should be, come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And when we pray that prayer, in verse 20, Jesus responds like this. He who testifies these things says, surely, I am coming soon. Wow. Wow. When we say come, Jesus says, be right back. And, and hope stirs in our hearts. Friends, let's keep holding on to the promises of this amazing shoot. Let's not look at the stump 
Let's not think the stump is the story. The stump isn't the story. The root that produces the shoot, that produces the fruit, that's the story. That's our story. Are you encouraged? Let's not aim too low, friends. We have a king before us. And this is the season where we celebrate his first coming. And his first coming gives us hope that he promises to fix all things at his second coming. Even us, even now. Let me pray for you. Won't you stand? Lord, thank you so much for your kindness towards us as a community. Your promise that you would display your grace. Your unmerited favor. We can't say we're here today because of anything we have done. It's because of what you have done. Your grace at work in our lives. And so we honor you and we submit to you, our great king. You're our leader that does not mess up. And we are so thankful for that. It gives us such hope. So we tuck in behind your lordship. We tuck in under your wing, your protective wing as a church. And we believe that you take stumps and you turn them into shoots that will produce fruit. That is what we hold on to because you're a promise keeper. You don't go back on your word. Faithful God, help us to be a people of hope. Help us to step out of this building today and walk into the world where we find ourselves, live, work, and play, and that we be people of hope. Help us. Let the hope of who you are eclipse all the other things that's behind us. We're not denying its existence, but we're saying you're brighter than that, Jesus. Thank you that you're our morning star. You are our morning star. The sun is rising. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Help us to be a church that is a beacon of that hope that others would come to you through us being the tool in your hands. We still say yes to your call to us to help others find and follow you, Jesus. We have not forgotten who you are our Messiah, our promised King. We will proclaim you in Jesus' name. Amen.